Are you looking to fine tune? Whether for your business, your job, your team, or yourself, in each episode, we will be discussing different ideas and opinions using real world examples to help you see opportunities, innovate, and succeed. Hi, it's Corby Fine, and welcome to Fine Tune. So today I have the pleasure of doing my first ever Backyard Jam podcast interview. And I, I promise I'm six feet apart from the guy. Almost. Maybe. Maybe. This is a, uh, this, uh, he just moved. This is a, uh, a gentleman who I have known for many years. I, I, I can't remember where I first met him, though I do recall a moment at a conference in Vegas. And if you listen to my podcast episode with Lauren from Loblaws, I think Vegas and a conference was there as well. So this seems to be a recurring thread with me. But while Lauren was in a bathing suit at the pool, this gentleman, Sean Mandel, was in a conference room, at a bar, in a hotel room, uh, all over the place. I think he was maybe the most mobile man in Vegas. Sean Mandel, thanks for uh, joining me in my COVID-free backyard this, uh, this evening. It's a pleasure to be here, Corby. It's a nice backyard. Thank you. I'm thanking many stars that I redid it last year. And for those of you, who, and, and Wayfair is not a sponsor. In fact, I have no sponsors. Feel free to donate. But I, I have the fire table going, and maybe I'll take a picture of that and put it on the post. We should roast some marshmallows. We could. It's a s'mores backyard podcast interview. So tonight's a little more casual for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, one, because as long as I've known Sean, I don't think I've ever seen him in a suit. Two, we're both wearing shorts and Crocs sitting in my backyard with birds chirping. And three, we decided that this would be a bit more of an off-the-cuff conversation than many of my other more structured podcasts. Works for me, Corby. Let's do it. Good. So I met Sean as the digital guy at one of our, our favorite telcos in Canada, Telus Communications. And Sean basically built himself a reputation, not just in Canada, not just in North America, but globally for being a transformation leader. And, and not just transformation in terms of the buzzwords of technology and MarTech and, and blah, blah, blah. But he really transformed the culture of the organization, so much so that I would say in the last five years, the background checks from executive recruiters on him far surpassed, see, I've never told you this, far surpassed anyone. And it was really like, is he that good? So, Sean, welcome. And maybe start off with, are, are you that good? <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for the kind words, Corby. Um Am I that good? I, I think, listen, the journey that we went on to create what, what is Talus Digital has been a fascinating ride. You know, it started with, you know, a flyer on, you know, could we do something dramatically different to reinvent a large company, right? And we got inspired by a lot of the work back in the day when, you know, the Lean Startup Movement and Eric Reese was a thing. So this was, what, 2012, you know, and we started essentially a startup kind of company within a large enterprise. And what was, what, 20 people working at a training room that was about 40 by 40 turned into about 500 people over almost seven years. And I'd say we made a lot more mistakes than we did successes, but I think the successes surpassed all the challenges that we had. And it was a fascinating ride in, like, in culture, in people, and how to like think about the customer and put the customer in the middle of everything you do. And ironically, as you traverse and go through that journey, you realize that the technology is the easy bit. And like the human element of transformation is far more challenging than making a bunch of technology investments. Yeah, I think back to inspirations I had and the way you talk about agile. I, I always talk about sort of personalization, which now I call relevance. And 
I remember reading a book in, I think it was 99 by uh, Peppers and Rogers, one-to-one marketing. And maybe two years ago, I actually went on LinkedIn and I connected with Dr. Pepper, literally Peppers. <laughs> and, and I sent him a note. And I said, you know, I've got your book. You were like a super inspiration. I've been working for 20 years. I'm way older. Here's some thoughts. And I said, you know, oomph. I'd use other words, but I won't say it. I said, by the way, I would have called it relevance, not one-to-one personalization. And he wrote me back. I have it in my LinkedIn still. And he's like, yeah, I kind of agree with you. And so, you know, I think about inspirations in my career and, and sort of how I've taken action. You've become really a, a leader in large-scale organizational change, particularly around Agility, again, to your point, not in tech, but in culture. And so who do you look up to? Like, who, who are your mentors, advisors, and people that you would want to reach out to, like Dr. Pepper? Like Dr. Pepper. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, was, I had the pleasure of being surrounded by some amazing people in my career. And I remember when I got my start at Rogers about 20 years ago. You know, it wasn't anybody fancy. It wasn't anybody super famous. It was just this desire to, to learn, right? And so I remember joining the organization uh, a bunch of folks my age were huddling together, working together, and I was the first guy trying to find, you know, those those old school, you know, technologists who have been inside the organization for many years. And I just surrounded myself with some amazing people who taught me, like, the value of, like, what a good testing spec looks like, the value of what good documentation looked like. And a lot of the mentors I had, and these were the guys who built, like, the first mobile networks in Canada. And like their stories and just everything they put into what they did was very much the benchmark that you always had to live up against. And I think that as the years went on, we've kind of lost that touch around like what kind of old school service development and product development is like. So a lot of the mentors and the people that I look up to were just the hard workers, like the solid professionals, the guys who were like in the trenches doing this stuff for a living. When it comes to other mentors and people that I've looked up to over the years? It's a good question, Corby, because a lot of my brain just goes back to, you know, some of those guys I surrounded myself very early on in my career versus anybody who stands out. You know, somebody who I always find fascinating is someone like a Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm is, is fascinating because he'll, he's got this just, this way about the way he debates and discusses topics and just his knowledge and his humbleness is obviously very exciting to me. So like listening to his podcasts, just understanding his background and where he came from was always somebody that I looked up to, but it wasn't for any other reason that I just found it fascinating. So on the flip side of that, tied to culture is hiring and having people around you. And so you've, you've been notorious for being known as someone who gives you know, a pretty hard interview. A lot of, uh, a lot of use cases, you know, hand drawings on napkins. Yes. Um, when you think about the biggest successes you've had in attracting really good talent into these you know, environments that you're in the middle of transforming, what, what makes the right person for you uh, a really good top talent candidate? Like, What's the secret to, uh, to surrounding yourself with good people? I think the secret to the, the interview, if you will, and, and we can talk about surrounding yourself with good people, is you got to put people on the spot. You got to like really see what people are made of. Like you ad hoc see, podcast interviews? Ad hoc podcast interviews, you know, putting a piece of paper and a pencil in front of somebody leaving the room for 10 minutes and seeing how they break down and solve a problem. Um, and just understanding people's thought processes and how they, how they approach different things. There's, there's no real rhyme or reason behind it. You're looking for good problem solvers. You're looking for people who have a certain personality, people who want to drive an inclusive and diverse environment. And so when I'm interviewing, I'm taking you for a spin just to see, you know, how well you've been cross-trained. Usually what I find is the best candidates have very varied experiences or are able to pull 
away from the specific role in the specific company and talk about like how transferable their skills are. And the best way to do that is put them to the test. A lot of companies, especially Valley-based, seem to be moving to this T-shaped leader model. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but it, it's essentially what you're talking about with a, with a buzzword because everything in the Valley has to have a buzzword. And it's essentially the notion of you go deep in a very specific vertical area, but you've got a bunch of cross-breadth skills from experience, different organizations, different verticals, different leaders, and that you can... Find a way to tie it all together. So I think I think it's well, you should probably look that yeah, up. Yeah, for sure. Of course, Gladwell a, might have done something. Yeah, about who it. knows? But it's about how wide you go, how deep you go. It makes a lot of sense. But it's also about the ability to like you know transcend that experience and make what you've done very relevant to the role or the opportunity that's sitting in front of you. Sometimes you find it very difficult with people with broad experience to get them to focus on like one thing. I think guys like us struggle with that because we have such broad and varied experiences throughout the years we've been working, and it's difficult to find good people who know how to like zone in and center on one thing and don't get distracted by talking about it too much. So how do you know when you're on the right path to success through these transformations? And, and maybe we'll bridge, you know, you spent a lot of time at, at TELUS yeah. in, a, in a very senior leadership position. And I, I actually looked it up. It was one year and two days ago, I believe, was your... Uh, your first day at the new job, yes, which has its whole other storyline to it right now, um, as the CIO, CTO, C something though of 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 Cineplex, yes, which is the largest entertainment company really in Canada. So we'll get to the story of Cineplex, but maybe just a little bit around that that sort of first thought, which is as you're trying to transform a telco, how do you know that you're on the right track? What are those KPIs and measurements that you you need to set yourself and, and watch for? Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at any sort of large scale transformation, I think in some instances, a little bit of the less you know, the better. Because what I'm finding as I've grown up in my career, you've seen a lot, you've been through a lot. And so you have this desire to take on too much. And like, you know, a, a good transformation framework might have 15 or 20 different elements to it. And that can become daunting and distracting. And you're trying to bite off more than you can chew at the beginning of it. And I think what you got to think about is, you know, what are the handful of key outcomes that you're chasing? The KPIs are really dependent on the environment you're in. You know, when I joined Cineplex, the KPIs we started to look at were, were quite simple. What were the things that were going to drive the team member and engagement? What were the KPIs that were going to drive the customer and the customer experience? And what were the KPIs that were going to move the needle for the business? In our early days, a lot of that was about, hey, like, what are the key metrics associated with, like, a reliable environment? You know, from a technology perspective, Cineplex.com never withstood uh, the force of any epic movie release until, you know, about six months after I joined when we had to, like, re-engineer the stack so we could deal with Star Wars. I was going to say, what movie was it? Yeah, it was Star Wars because, like, you know, I I actually got a gift when I first joined is about, you know, four weeks before I joined the company, Endgame launched and Cineplex.com went down. And what I realized as I joined into the company is every major epic movie release launch took down the website because everything was like pre-order and advanced seating. And so the volume was just something that was too much for it to handle, obviously. And so we got into an environment where it's like I was just handed this gift, front page of the National Post website goes down. Right. And I remember like day four of my job in there, the first thing that we did was we got into a room and did like a big retro, like, what's going on, guys? What happened? What are the things we need to do to make it better? So in my early days in this context, a lot of it was about reliability. A lot of it was about cybersecurity. Uh, A lot of it was about like delivery and actually being pragmatic and doing things in small chunks proved 
um, very valuable because we kind of slowly iterated our play our way to a place that allowed us to withstand the force that was then Star Wars back in what December, right? So again, the KPIs depend on your context, but a few for us: reliability, team member engagement, cybersecurity were top of the list as I took on the new job. So, what attracted you to really a leadership position to try and transform? what I think many would think of as a, a pretty, you know, stable legacy business. I mean, I I remember going on 252 Tuesdays to see the movie. And, and to be blunt, other than the size of the theater and the quality of the audio and the fact that I can pre-book my seat, the popcorn's still the same. At least it tastes that way. By the way, uh, a tip for everyone in the uh, greater Toronto area. I did find the supplier during this pandemic of the popcorn kernels. I bought a 35-pound bag for $25. It is in my basement if anybody runs out. We eat a lot of popcorn in my family, and uh, the pandemic left me worried. You could also hit up Uber Eats or skip the dishes and get some fresh to your house as well, Corby. (laughs) I, I, I like to go big. Anyway, so what what was it that said, hey, you know, you've transformed this, like, massive I guess at the time, legacy telco. And now it's like, mm, ripe and ready. I can hit the distribution for Star Wars. What was it about the company that attracted you? You know, I think for me, a lot of what was exciting about the opportunity was looking at just, I, I'd step back and I'd look at like the state of this idea of like a digital or a digital officer. And I was always of the impression um, and belief that like over time, that role gets squeezed out. You know, the marketing comes a bit southbound and gets more technical. The CIO, CTO role uh, gets a bit more progressive. And then that middle ground of what is a data officer, a digital officer starts to vanish. So for me, ton of experience on the digital marketing side, spent a ton of time with our marketing teams in the agency, but just didn't have that like traditional CIO, CTO experience. So for me, being able to empathize better with that side of the world and spend more time in a traditional CIO, CTO role uh, was very attractive. And at the same time, I don't know if you've ever met Ellis Jacob, but like the man is fascinating, right? And what was, you know, uh, an eight plex in Sault Ste. Marie 30 years ago turned into a multi-billion dollar company. And the story of Ellis and what he did to take some risks, you know, build the business, the acquisitions that they made through the business, but also the realities of what was the scene program and some of the investments that were made by Cineplex and Scotia from a scene program perspective created this data asset that was extremely attractive. So the role combined um, these great elements of product, digital and data that I knew very well and was in my sweet spot and was able to create a role that pulled IT technology into it. So for me, the idea of integrating all these assets, driving an architecture of the future Future that was about data at the core was a great opportunity. And then being thrust into an environment where there was a major desire for change and investment was extremely exciting. Also, going into a bit of a smaller footprint, not necessarily a big bank or a big insurance company or a big telco, was also exciting because I thought it would create, and it did, a different set of constraints that drove a lot of creativity in how, how we solved problems. You know, I've come from an environment with big teams and big budgets uh, and going to an environment that didn't have that size and scale was has been the most amazing experience over the last, what, 13 months. I can't tell you that I would have learned this much anywhere else. 12 months, two days, wasn't it? I think it's actually, you know, if we step back, I think it was April 29th. Must have been the press release. It's about 13 months. It was the press release. It was the press release. Yes, it was the press release. See, I do my homework. You do. I like it. Ish. (laughs) So you said something interesting. I've been debating for some time, especially with a lot of retained search recruiters, about the notion of the title of like chief digital officer. And my theory is pretty basic, and I think it's aligned to yours, but maybe give me your, your perspective. The fact that everything has some element of digital in it, even 
you know, think about the the newspaper business. I mean, the words are typed, they're sent, they're edited, they're stored, they're distributed through digital channels. They just happen to sometimes, now a little bit less than than before, output in different formats. One of those formats happens to be tactile paper. But at the end of the day, like, come on, everything we do is either created and or transferred or transposed some regards through digital. So is the title chief digital officer relevant in 2020? It, it, depending on the organization and the context, it is. I was always a big believer that the goal of a really good chief digital officer is to kind of manage themselves to a relevancy and push digital skills and capability as far and wide throughout the enterprises as possible. So for me, I always had that mindset that is, you know, my success is born out of other successes. And if I could be a catalyst for change that drove digital capabilities very deep within an organization and allowed people to really truly embrace it. I was always a big fan of like distributed software development and that always had a bit of an allergic reaction to this idea of like a center of excellence, right? Like hoarding certain skills associated with a certain practice. Think about like an analyst or a data scientist was always very counter to, you know, my view of the world. And so for me, that's where I think there will always be a function for someone who plays that transformation role, call it a transformation officer, call it a digital officer, it doesn't matter. Because I think a lot of companies are still grappling with the reality of the transformation ahead. I'm also a big believer that we're kind of probably in the second, maybe third wave of this transformation. And a lot of companies just, you know, and it's from no fault of their own, just haven't got it right. And it's very difficult. And I'd say probably what, one or two out of every hundred companies that take on this journey kind of quote unquote, get it right. Uh, And so... You know, a lot of organizations are starting to rethink about reinvention. Again, build on work that they've already done. Look at ripping and replacing a lot of technology that they put in. Because you and I should have a talk right now about how, like, you know, if we talk about data for a while, we talk about machine learning as an example. It's a, it's a human problem, not a technical problem. Like building an algorithm is not a complicated feat. Transforming an organization to understand how to embed an algorithm in their processes is 50 times harder than building an algorithm in and of itself. And that reality takes people who have that type of experience. So call it what you want to call it. But I think that role is still relevant in 2020, especially in companies that aren't inherently digital natives. Yeah, I think the the bias that we've identified in the last number of years around how data is used in organizations. So, you know, having worked in a large financial institution, you realize pretty quickly that there's a few things that are inherent in how the businesses have run for years. So as an example, in Canada, you can take parental leave, whether you're a man or a woman. And so we, we did such a great job at, at sort of neutralizing the gender from the political sphere of having a baby. But we kind of forgot to do one other thing, which was that while it's still a majority of, of women that wind up taking the leave, when you apply for a mortgage and you haven't had employment for 11 months, whether it's because you were actually unemployed or on maternity leave, we kind of forgot to adjust the models that did the adjudication on the mortgages. And so when I think about, you know, how do we go way beyond that, really, and start to think about all of the applicabilities of data in how we operate our businesses, yeah, maybe it's an evolution of what a chief digital officer is. But I, I, like you, think that this sort of future state is is this mashup of digital customer experience, uh, data analytics, tied with marketing and, and enablement. It becomes the enabler of a business. You just happen to have done an interesting thing, which is add in the ownership of the the guts, the yes. infrastructure of tech. Be careful what you wish for. Okay, why? Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it can get it can get distracting. 
you know, when you're trying to keep basic IT operations running, focus on things like security, it can become quite daunting and, and quite challenging. And it can distract you away from what I would describe as probably, you know, some of the more shiny objects that, that you want to chase. You know, going back to this digital and data thing, I think they're becoming somewhat synonymous with each other. You know, as we at Cineplex contemplated what the architecture of the future was, and that could be, and that's even in like a traditional IT context or even what a digital architecture looked like, the answer was actually data at the core. And so at any digital officer or even chief information or technology officer who doesn't understand the data domain and doesn't understand the power of what data at the core means, you're probably going down the wrong path when it comes to the architecture you're trying to build for the future. And then in turn, the processes and the ways of working that you wrap around that. So for me, I think CDO is data and digital. And I think that you got to contemplate how broad your scope of your role is, because I'm getting a new appreciation now for being on all sides of it. Ready? You know, we own UX, we drive product, we drive digital, we drive data, and we run IT. And that's a massive scope for anybody, regardless of the size of the organization. You got to pick your bets, because I think the reality is, and a lot of these transformations back to the question you asked before, is you kind of got to meet people where they are on their journey. You know, you can't force certain people down a certain path. And that requires a lot of understanding around where people are, especially with regards to how they view a transformation. So we spent the first little while in the new job actually asking people what they thought my job was <laughs> and walked around and built a point of view. So it's always good to get the job spec from the headhunter. It's this beautiful document. It outlines this role. It looks really good on paper. But you got to walk around. You got to ask a bunch of people like, so what do you think I do? Or what do you want me to do? But then also kind of wade through that and then find the common elements to then bridge and build forward. And the reality is, no matter how much you know or how much you understand about where things go, your job is to take everybody for the ride. And the second you get ahead of everybody or you go rogue and you go around, it just makes that journey that much more difficult. And so while the early days are challenging and have, you know, their moments, I think the, the value in taking the larger group for the ride will pay off in the long term. And while it might take you a little bit longer... Uh, it's worth the outcome. It's much more, much, much more of a pragmatic way forward. So two more areas. The first, and we've talked a little bit about this in the past. Well, at least we've WhatsApped about it. So you're in a, you know, you've been, you've been around for a while. You've touched a lot of things, a lot of businesses. Some VC lands on your lap and says, here's the seven figure check to go, you know, start the next business. What is it? What's the opportunity that you see right now that any of uh, my budding entrepreneur listeners who, who are thinking about what to do next would, would get your attention at the door because they've just they've, they've slayed the beast of the opportunity? What is it? Where do you put your money? Where do you put your money? There's a few ideas where you can put your money. And I think there's a lot of companies and solutions and applications out there that try to solve this riddle. But this idea, and we came up with it a while ago, as like introspection as a service. This, this idea that like people are looking for self-improvement, people are looking for coaching. There's an, a mass of knowledge and wealth out there. And right now, a lot of it's like very superficial. So like you'll hit like a feed of your favorite social network, you'll hit things like Google Now, and you're just being like inundated with all this nonsense. And while Google and a bunch of these guys are trying to personalize this stuff for you, there's a different way to go about, you know, what I would describe as like this, this meld of like a mind map with like digital coaching and kind of essentially like what is becomes a newsfeed of your life. And we always joke mm. that it was like this idea of like, how do you create 
something that drives introspection as a service and how you can focus more on yourself versus all the superficial bullshit that's being thrown at you because it's just not relevant. And so I feel I, I truly believe that there's money to be thrown at something that just like takes like relevance and personalization and this kind of theme of introspection to the next level that from every service or app that I've ever played with never has actually cracked the nut on that problem. Yeah, it's interesting. I uh I actually have a good deck on this and a big plan. Do we should do something about <laughs> All it. Right, well, we should take you through it. We're gonna hang up soon. Yeah, and, I wish uh, I had. I wish that. I had more time and more time to put into something like that. It's interesting. I've been experimenting a little with you know social post titling, and um, there's no question. There's so much of the same that it doesn't take much to be a little bit controversial in the way you title something, and you get tons of views. In fact, uh, I broke my own LinkedIn record the other day, and it's still counting. Look at you. Forty-five thousand views of a post. And it's amazing to think you write something and within like two weeks, 45,000 people have read it, you know, four or 500 have taken the time to actually comment on it. And the next day you could do something that gets like seven. And I think people are looking for whether it's introspection or something that at least stimulates their brain that, that feels a little different than everything else around them because it's all so homogenized. It's true. You know, we always have this chat that like, well, how different is it than reading the newspaper? The headline on the newspaper and everything on that physical copy is generally the same and everybody's being fed um, the same news. So I don't think we've gotten, as, as your point, if, as, too, as far away from that as probably we would like. And I think that that's part of the challenge. So... Uh... Last area, and I generally ask... We should interview you, Corby. We could. We could. Maybe. Maybe. We, uh, we end most of my podcasts with a question of, of asking, if you had the chance to be the CEO of your business for, for a day, what would you do next? And I would add to that <laughs> the caveat that your business is in, a, in an interesting situation. Yes. Maybe explain it to those that aren't familiar. Yeah, you know, obviously government-mandated shutdowns due to COVID have done a good job flattening the curve and putting it in a, in a good trajectory. We're obviously seeing the other side of that now, but the last 90 days have been quite the wild ride inside of the company. If I was the CEO for a day, what would I do that's maybe different? It, it's interesting because I think what's happening now inside of the organization is it's forcing a bunch of discussions um, and decisions that you know need to get made. And so it's funny, as I've reflected on that, even before we had this conversation, I think we are heading down the right path making the right bets, really focusing on what is core. And so I'm pretty stoked around what's happening internally right now because the discussions on the budgets or the discussions on structure or the discussions on priorities are the right discussions. And so I think, if anything, I would just further double down on what we're doing right now internally. And I probably wouldn't have said that a year ago. But now, you know, things are moving in a very good direction. So what I am going to ask you at the end of this is for a couple of uh, movie codes so that I can uh, raffle them a, off for my listeners. Code. You want to raffle them off to your listeners. I have a pair of LinkedIn socks that I haven't yet given away to anybody. So I think I'm going to do movie codes and um, LinkedIn socks. I'll get my hands on a few codes for you, Carmi. Sounds good. So, you know, Sean, I think you've said some interesting things today. One, listen to Malcolm Gladwell because he's always got something to say. The less you know, the better. And when you're starting a new job, go around and ask people, like, what do you think the role should be? Don't always make an assumption that uh, what the recruiter puts on a piece of paper is 100% accurate. I think we've all experienced that before. The notion that the, the digital in CDO is just one of the many words and data is the other big one. And I think you and I have talked a lot about that. You know, my CMO fantasy of the future is, is sort of marketing, branding, advertising mashed up with client experience and data. Because, you know, I, I do think at the end of the day, being an enabler in a business is, is really a fun role. And I will not wish for the technology. You can continue to do that. And maybe we'll find, oh, by the way, there's a giant raccoon walking along the fence behind you. 
Yes, we are actually in my backyard with a fire and a raccoon. At least he doesn't look like he's coming this way. No, he's he's hanging out there. And then finally, I think something I've never really actually heard you say, spend money on introspection. And I think that's a whole other topic that maybe we'll follow up on when you interview me, because I definitely need some introspection in my life. Um, but Sean, listen, man, you're uh, you're a good friend and a good person and always insightful. And thanks for hanging out in my backyard and uh, having some soda water and, and doing this with me. Cheers, Corbin. Thank Th- you. Thanks, man. You've been listening to Fine Tune. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me on Twitter at CFine, through LinkedIn at CorbyFine, or visit my website, CorbyFine.com. Fine Tune is produced by me, Corby Fine. Thanks for listening.